guys, welcome back to our midweek service. So glad that you joined us and glad that we have this time together where we can gather digitally. I know many of us are uh, together live right now and we're typing in the comments and interacting and that's great. But I also know some of us are consuming this content via podcast or going back to listen to it at your convenience. And that's great too. We just hope that this would encourage you. This would be a blessing to you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And as, as you learn in this crazy season that we're in, we know God is at work. And, and I believe that, and I think we'll be able to see that as we continue our journey zigzagging through the Psalms. Tonight, we're gonna be in Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 is a Psalm of lament. We just jumped out of, on Sunday, we did Psalm 77. And so we're in a season where we're studying lament, what that means, what that looks like, how that, how that applies to each one of us. And so we're going to be looking at lament in a Christian lens, and I think it's something we could all learn. I am a big fan of gratitude. I'm not a big fan of complaining or whining. That's a big rule in my house. We, we don't complain. We are grateful. We are thankful. But it's so easy to complain, and it's so easy to, to whine and gripe. Uh, even as grown-ups, we tend to be bent toward doing that when things don't go our way, when things don't happen in the time frame that we would like them to happen in. And so lament gives us a framework to complain in some ways, to cry, to voice our concerns. And some of us are in a season, coming off of a season or heading into a season where we're going to need to cry. We're going to need to cry out to God. We're going to need to complain and lament and voice our concerns. And so we get to see that structure on how to do that. Psalm 77 gives us a corporate lament of how to do that. Psalm 13 gives us more of a personal lament, me individually. It, King David wrote it, and uh, David wrote a lot of the Psalms. And as we look through the Psalms, there are more lament Psalms than there are of any other type of Psalms. Because songs and poetry give us a, a framework, a structure to voice our emotions, to show our emotions. And so, lamenting is, is a heavy emotion that a lot of us don't know how to deal with. A lot of us don't know what to do with. And so we voice our concerns, we cry, we complain, we bemoan. Lamenting is a structure given to us in the Psalms that we get to practice. So wherever you're at, whatever you're going through right now, whether it's uh, an illness, a financial struggle, uh, just difficulty, loneliness, whatever it may be, I hope that this structure gives us a way to fight through that, to lean in, to press into God as he has shown us how to respond. And lamenting is something that we need to be practicing anyway, because lamenting helps us get it off our chest. It helps us to say things out loud, to, to confess our sins, to be honest with God. And I think when we look at Psalm 13, we'll be able to do that quite easily. Christians practice lament a little bit different than non-Christians. And we can see that on social media. We can see that as we interact with coworkers, as we interact with uh, service workers who provide a service to us, or if we are service workers and we provide services to others. Uh, Christians lament by crying to God. Others lament simply by crying. And that doesn't really get much done. And so I think it'd be wise for us to lament by giving things to God, by presenting our concerns to God. As we read this six verses, it kind of builds up like we're, we're climbing up a mountain and then reaching over the summit to the crest where we, we start to huff and puff and cry and whine and complain, and then there's ease. As David wrote this, you can kind of feel the tension, the impatience, the concern, the worry right off the bat. And he's just 
really stressed right off the bat. And then he kind of lets a little air out and lets a little air out and then he calms down and then we get to our base point of reality. So to do that, to understand that, we're gonna read this just two verses at a time. We'll read two, break it down, read two, break it down. And each section gives us a step toward how do we practice lament well? How do we engage in this healthy process of bearing our emotions well? How do we lean into God well? So we're gonna read together Psalm 13. Uh, If you want, I've got the text up on the screen or you can go to a different browser and look up Psalm 13, open your Bible, however you choose to engage with it. I think it's great for us to put our eyes and ears on God's word together. So Psalm 113, or Psalm 13, verses one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So this is a pretty honest complaint. David's getting a little impatient. David's getting a little concerned and he's being pretty straightforward with God. How long am I gonna have to deal with this? So we can infer that it's been a little while that David's been dealing with this stress, with this trial. Whatever he's going through, it's been happening for a little bit. It's not just something new that showed up. He's saying, how long? Like, will you forget me forever? That seems like a childish question in some ways, but at the same time, David's been feeling what he's feeling for a while, and he doesn't seem to see that God is at work in this. Will you forget me forever? So our, our first step in overcoming this trial, in pushing through and leaning into God through lament, our first step is to turn to God and bring your complaint. Like if we turn to God when we're going through these trials, it at least points us in the right direction. And bring your complaint. David starts with God, I, I'm talking to you, here's my complaint. You've forgotten me. You'll hide, you're hiding your face from me, you're, you're not here. Where, where are you for my counsel? Where are you to calm my heart, to comfort my sorrow? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you let my enemies win? And that's David's genuine concern. But God's silence to him, God's at, at work in the trial, David doesn't see it. God's silence doesn't mean he's not at work. As we see over and over and over again through scripture, just because we don't hear God audibly, just because we don't see him at work doesn't mean he's not at work. Silence doesn't mean he's not at work, he's working. And he's at work for us today, he's at work in our trial, he's at work in our joy, in our ease, and in our stress all at the same time. Isaiah 55 says uh, a little bit about how God is at work in our trial in ways that we don't know. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a reality we admit in lamenting. In lamenting, we're giving our control back to God where it belongs and saying, God, how long are you gonna forget me? How long are you gonna hide your face from me? I wanna believe that you're at work, but right now I don't understand. But I'll choose to admit that your thoughts and my thoughts aren't always the same. Your ways are much higher than my ways. That's a big act of trust in saying that. And so admitting this reality allows us to bring our complaint to God and be honest with him. Because this is honest. This is a man after God's own heart, but at the same time, he's kind of worn out. It's been a while. I'm going through all of this. And I really don't want to wait anymore. I'd rather you just show up and save the day right now 
because I'm beginning to doubt that you'll do that ever. We see many examples throughout the scriptures, time and time again, of people waiting, God's chosen people waiting, and then him showing up in a big way. Joseph waited 13 years. He was thrown in a pit, a pit. he was sold into slavery, uh, he was in jail, imprisoned. He waited 13 years of suffering before God exalted him and lifted him up and put him uh, in a position of authority and restored his family relationships with his brothers. 13 years to go through a similar trial, to deal with a similar pain. Abraham waited 25 years. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a child and you're going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky and you'll be blessed to be a blessing. But Abraham got impatient he kept waiting. Where's this baby? I'm getting older. My wife is getting older. You said we'd have a child. He took his impatience into his own hands and he went and he conceived a child outside of marriage and he, he betrayed God. And so God worked in that waiting to bring him back to himself and, and gave him a child, gave his wife a child. But 25 years was a long year to wait, a long time to wait. Moses waited 40 years wandering around with a bunch of people complaining about the fact that they're wandering around in the desert. God was literally raining their food down from the sky and putting it on the ground for them every day. And they complained, how long are we going to have to wander? How long is this God that you've told us about, Moses, how long is he going to make us wait to inherit the land that he's given us? How long do we have to wander around? 40 years, apparently, is, is how long Moses had to wait. We see Noah had to wait, building, building a boat to withstand a storm, people mocking him, questioning him, concerned about, why is this guy building a boat? He had to wait for the storm to come to see that God had bigger plans. And then he had to wait for the storms to subside to see that God was still at work. There's just a lot of waiting, a lot of patience developed through and through and through. And we always feel like trial and temptation and struggle last longer than they're supposed to. We feel like they're just dragging on about halfway through a struggle, we say, God, I get it. Lesson learned. Let's move on. Can we go on to the next thing? But time and time again, we see God at work in the waiting. God at work in developing patience, in, ship, in shaping our character, developing us to who we are in the waiting because he's at work in all of that. And so we see waiting leads to this really dark pit if we don't turn to God. David went from frustrated, how long will you forget me? To despondent, how long will you leave me here forever? Will you hide your face? To despair, how long are you going to let my enemies win? And then he became joyless. I'm covered in sorrow. And when he became joyless, he became hopeless. Would you show up? Like there's, there's nothing here. He's got this big weight on his shoulders. I'm going through this. How long? So he goes from despondent, to despair, to joyless, to hopeless. And when we get hopeless, there is no reason for patience. And hopeless is, is a hard place to lament from. So if we turn to God sooner, then it's easier to lament and be honest. God, I'm getting impatient here. God, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to learn here, but I'm done with this struggle. I'm done with this trial. Would you show up and step in? but we're kind of shifted and molded into this Superman complex where we're waiting for God to show up on the last minute and save the day and everything's gonna be better. Instead of choosing to see that maybe God's at work along each little step, incremental movement of this trial, of this struggle. 
So we get to follow David's lead. Patience is something that we're working on in my household. I have a four and a half year old and a one and a half year old, and they're not patient people. And the more I learn about their impatience, the more I realize my own impatience. Just having my four-year-old wait, she'll say, Dada, can I have this? I'll say, yes, but I'm clearly doing something right now. If you would let me finish, I will get it to you. She doesn't want to wait. And the longer she waits, the bigger her tantrum grows and the bigger my frustration goes. Like, why, why aren't you just a patient person? Why couldn't you just come out of the womb and be patient all of a sudden? But patience isn't something that, boom, we're born with. You either have it or you don't. No one just has patience. Patience is something that's developed, that's grown. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit that lives inside of us when we become Christians. The Holy Spirit bears a fruit, and patience is one of those fruits where we show up and, whew, I can, I can wait a little longer. I can trust God a little longer because no one is actually born patient. And so as I work with a toddler, as I work with two toddlers on wait, be patient. They don't always see, well, yes, I'm going to get the candy. They've asked for the candy. When can I have the candy? When I finish this. Are you done with that? No, I'm not. Are you done with it now? No, I'm not. Can I have the candy now? No, you cannot. Please be patient. We're the same way with God, our Father. God, when are you going to heal me? You haven't healed us. When are you going to bring a vaccine? When are you going to make this thing go away? When are you going to give me another job? When? When? Why? Why? Where? Where? And we just get more and more impatient, chipping away, instead of seeing, oh, wow, God is at work in this. If you would practice patience instead of throwing a tantrum, I'm going to get the candy bowl and I'm going to give you two pieces of candy just because you were so patient, because you modeled that character for me. But we don't want to wait. We want things now. We cry when the Internet's slow and Netflix won't load. We get frustrated when we just see bubbles and bubbles on our text messages and nothing's being sent. Would you answer me already? So we need to turn to God and, and voice our complaint. Bring our complaint to God. And that, that'll help us venture into the next step of lamenting. And the next step is verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 13. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This is the, the next step. Step two of lamenting is to ask boldly for help. Not just say, hey God, can you show up for me, please? But step in, lean in in boldness. Consider and answer me. David's not really asking a question. He's more making a demand. Would you answer me, God? I just asked you, how long, how long, how long, how long? Would you give me any glimmer of hope? And so it's a, it's a bold statement here to say, answer me, God. But it's a real lament. This is a legit emotion he's trying to overcome and go through. Answer me, please give me something. Because if you don't, my eyes will sleep the sleep of death. But if you do, if you do answer me, you'll light up my eyes. This is where we get to see the glimmer of hope. God, if you would show up, just, just give me a glimmer that would light up my eyes. If, if my daughter's asking for the candy and I open the cabinet, her eyes light up. She knows there's hope. Hey, I've opened the cabinet. Once I finish this, I'm going to get that bowl down and you'll get candy. And her eyes light up. God, if you would provide something, if you would show me something, 
a decrease in infections or an increase in revenue or an increase in time together, an increase in medical progress, whatever it may be that we're going through. God, would you show me just a glimmer and light my eyes up? Because if you don't, my enemy will say, I have prevailed over him. And David knows that if, it, if his enemy prevails over him, then his enemy can say he prevailed over God as well because people know that David is God's chosen one. He's saying, don't let that happen, God. Light my eyes up because I don't want my enemy to say that. I don't want my foes to rejoice because I'm shaken and I don't want to sleep the sleep of death. I don't want to fall into this any further than I've fallen. Would you lift me up? Give me just a little bit of hope. And many of us wrestle with that sleep of death. A lot of people think David's alluding to a deep, dark depression here, just wrestling with that groaning. I, I can't find any sort of joy. I can't find any sort of accomplishment or meaning in anything. So God, would you light my eyes up? Would you provide that glimmer of hope? And he, he doesn't even say, would you? He says, do it. Consider and answer me. Give me an answer. Because I've asked and asked and asked, and I need you to answer me, please. And this is the end of David's petition. He's turned to God and he's, he's brought his complaint to God and he's boldly asking for help, saying, God, I know that you'll work in this. And then he has a big pivot and the big pivot brings us to where we wanna land in our lament. Because David was big up here, how long, how long, how long, I'm angry, I'm mad. And then he turned and said, consider me and answer me. Here's the reason behind my lament, God. My enemy is winning. And the more they win against me, the more they think they're winning against you. Would you show up? And then he turns the corner. And this is the part where we get lost in our lament. This is the part where we forget. We're just real quick to stay in that. God, I'm so mad right now. Answer me. And we just bounce back and forth between those two. And the reality is when we turn this corner is when we find that sense of relief and our, light, our eyes light up with a little hope. And we're able to turn this corner in verses five and six. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is our, our final step of lamenting, is choose to trust. This is a, a big step. Trust is hard for a lot of us. How can I trust God if I can't see him? How can I trust God if I'm still sick, if I'm still unemployed, if we're still split up? How can I trust him? But he's a God who's worthy of our trust. I think this is written in an appropriate tense because he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. God has dealt bountifully with me. He's speaking of past tense. He's got this foundation built of God has worked. I've seen God show up. I've seen God boost me and light up my eyes. I've seen God at work in the storm. I've seen him succeed and win in me, for me, through me, without me. I've seen it. And I'm choosing to trust in that because I have that foundation. So our response here is, what is our foundation? Have we built that foundation? What are we doing to practice this active remembering that David is practicing? I'm going to take steps toward remembering what God has done not just today, but I need to keep going in remembering. Because if I can remember he was faithful yesterday, if I can apply that today, if I can apply that tomorrow, then I have that glimmer of hope to keep moving away from being joyless or hopeless, away from being despondent or in despair. God, answer me and show up because I trust you. You've done this before.
you've provided for me time and time again. Patience is out of my control, obviously, God. You know I don't have the ability to have enough patience to overcome this. So I need you to show up. I need you to give me patience. I need you to be at work in this because I'm all out of patience. And when we run out of our own patience, we either run to sin or we realize the power of the patience that's at work in us through his Holy Spirit. So God, I will choose to trust in you because I've trusted before, because you have dealt bountifully with me. And I love that he says that you've done this before, which is good. You've built this foundation for me to trust you, but you've also dealt bountifully with me, which means you have given me way more than I deserve, which is the reality of the gospel. It's that we have received way more than we deserve because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so when we, when we realize that we are broken sinners and we confess that to God and we confess that to each other and we recognize that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we inherit this eternal life. We get to overcome this grave like Jesus has done. We get to see the power of the cross at work for each one of us because he has dealt bountifully with us. In your personal study this week, I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 8. It's, it's about 40 verses long, but as you read it, you kind of get to see time and time again, God's steadfast love for us. And that's what David says. I have trusted in your steadfast love, so I'll rejoice in your salvation. I've trusted in your love before, I'll do it again. And I'm gonna rejoice in the fact that you save, you bring salvation to me. And in Romans 8, we see this, this climb. He's at work right now in the trial. He's at work right now in the storm. He's at work bringing all of this mess back together for the good of those of us who love him. But ultimately he's at work in this mess, bringing all these things back together, restoring all things to himself so that he would get glory. And when God is glorified in what we do, we recognize that he calls us righteous. He calls us holy. He gives us a new identity that's more than, oh, that's the complainer. That's the unemployed. That's the sick. That's the lonely. He rewrites all those things that others have been telling us that Satan has been feeding into our minds. And he calls us righteous. He calls us holy and he shows us his steadfast love. And so in Romans 8, he turns the corner and says, I'm going to work all things together for the good of those who love me. And we know that. And at the end of Romans 8, Paul writes this list of things that could not separate us from God's love. And it's a pretty full list. Like if these things can't separate us from God's love, then it must be steadfast. And that's the word David chooses to use. That's the word that Paul chooses to use. His love powers through trial, powers through our own disobedience, which is a huge deal. He loves us so much that he's still chasing us down. He's still got us in his arms, even when we're trying to run away, even when we're caught in these false identities we're choosing to pursue. But I will trust in your steadfast love and I will rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to you because you've dealt bountifully with me. This is so huge, this is worth celebrating. He's proven faithful in the mess. When Jesus interacted with people, he interacted with messy, broken people, hurting people. And as he interacted with them, he met them right there in their mess and he healed them, he redeemed them, he lifted them up out of, he set them free from their past. Whatever it is they were wrestling with, Jesus showed up and set them free. And it caused them to sing, it caused them to run, to celebrate, to get excited. Their whole life was changed. And for many of us, we can claim that happened as well. 
I was bound by this and now I'm set free. I was locked up in this. I was hopeless in this. And now I'm set free because of what Jesus has done. And so David is leading us into this series of example after example, petition after petition, showing us, God, I'm crying out to you. I need you to answer me. I need you to be my hope. But even so, even in my pain, even in my trial, I'm choosing to recognize that your love is steadfast for me, that you have time and time again proven yourself worthy of my trust, proven yourself worthy of me praising you even amidst all of this because you continue to provide time and time again. I love this quote as we think about lamenting and as we think about overcoming our struggles. It's from Corey Ten Boom, and, and she says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. And I think that's kind of the roller coaster we put ourselves on in lamenting. Or when we try to bemoan and complain on our own, we're looking to the world. There's got to be something out there to help. Everything will be okay when a vaccine shows up. Everything will be okay when oil prices go up. Everything will be okay when we all get our jobs back and we can go out to eat wherever we want. But that's, that's going to cause you to be distressed. But if we look within at our own power, we recognize how impatient we are, how uh, lustful we are, how selfish we are, how, how self-satisfying we can be. And that could lead to depression. But if we look to God, you'll be at rest. And that's where David leads us to. God, how long, how long, how long? Consider me, answer me. But still, I will trust in your love because it's steadfast. I will sing about the salvation that you have given me and rejoice in that because you deal bountifully with me. And that should give us rest. That should give us peace. Jesus said he'd leave peace with us. My peace I bring to you, my peace I give to you, I leave it with you because he's overcome this world. And so in God, we find rest because it's a firm foundation that we can bemoan, that we can be honest with and be bold with and say, God, I need you. I'm putting my trust in worldly things. I'm putting my hope in hopeless things. But reality is I need to trust in you and hope in you. So would you help me do that? And that helps us lament. And so every week I want us to have this personal response where we can reflect, where we can dig in and be honest with ourselves. I think it's great on the weekends, we have this discussion group where we sit down with a couple of pastors and we discuss the message and, and we kind of go deeper, discuss some of these topics we're talking about. But I think on, on this service, it's great that we take a moment and as you respond, you think internally, you reflect, whether that's journaling or just meditating or praying, considering, what this psalm has taught me. And so my response, my challenge for you is that you would practice healthy lament. And practice healthy lament means to pray honest prayers by turning to God and bringing your complaint to him, by asking boldly for help and by choosing to trust. Because when we do that, we can recognize that God is at work in our trial, in our storm. And he wants us to be honest with him. He wants to meet us in our doubts and our concerns and frustrations, and he will. Romans 12, 2 gives us a final encouragement. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Our hope is turning to God. Patient in affliction is recognizing that he is at work. I've turned to you. I trust that you're at work, so I'll be faithful in prayer to follow you in that. 
So I want to close us in prayer and I'll leave us with that response. And then we'll finish with a benediction as we move on into our week. Let's pray. God, we know you're at work in this. We know it in our hearts. We know it in our bones. But would you help us to feel it and see it more? Whatever trial we may be overcoming. Or for those of us who are blind to the trials we're going through, would you help us to see that you're at work in them more than we see the trial themselves? Would you continue to use our church to be the church in big ways, to provide your grace, to provide your light, to provide your hope to people who need it? And will we recognize every single day that we have been blessed to receive your grace? Would we not take it for granted? We thank you for Jesus, for the gift of grace you give us through him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So let's lament well. Let's choose to trust in him. And may the God of peace show his favor upon you. Would he look to you and be proud of you? And as we lament and wrestle, would we own that and be honest with God in that? Hope you guys have a great week.